special stay at home self quarantine episode of the Brando cast. And this is the very first official Brando cast of the year 2021. Then joining me today, he's crushed it on the Brando cast before. He's my first guest of the new year. He is one of my favorite writers, comic minds, performers, hosts on the planet Earth, and you might know him from his appearance on national television last week when he stormed into the U.S. Capitol wearing nothing but a buffalo head covered in tattoos. Ladies and gentlemen, it's only one man. He hates Antifa. Blaine Kabach. It's it's true. I stormed the Capitol. That was me. The hardest part was leave uh, uh, with all that makeup on. Was remembering to leave a spot at the base of my back where there was no makeup, so my skin could breathe. Otherwise, I would die like the Goldfinger girl. <laughs> you know, I I, I I I could tell that you took a lot of time to get that that wonderful face painting right. What did it mean to you? Those colors, red, white, and blue. Well, you know, it took me back to my uh, uh, my days living in France. Uh, uh, I was up in the Alps. Uh, we had a, a farm up there. We had vines of stuff. I never really looked into it. We had people that took care of it. But uh, then I came over here, and I completely lost my accent, and uh, uh, I, I, I hired people to be uh, new loved ones. It's working out great for me. So that's, that's basically what it means is my secret past as a French kid. Okay, and now ex- please explain the buffalo head. Oh, I found it. <laughs> this is on, on my way there. I, somebody was throwing it out. I guess there was like a next to an IKEA desk that had like some broken glass doors on on the front. I was like, I'm not taking that, but the buffalo head's going on my head. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and plus my hair looked really bad, so it covered up my hair. What? Oh, oh, oh sorry. There's there's some FBI guys kicking my door down here. Let me see what's going on. Hey, hi. It's it's me, the imposter Blaine. Oh, my God. Uh, well, holy Christ. What a week, huh? <laughs> yeah, what a week. It's still happening, too. It's only Saturday. There's anything could happen before the end of tonight. I, I had so many plans this week. I was going to change my life this week. And then Wednesday happens, and I got sucked into Twitter and CNN at the same time. Yeah, you get you get pulled into those uh, those gravity wells of the news and stuff, and you're just uh, uh, constantly scrolling because things are constantly happening. That's the that's the key difference here from the old days. Is there's something actually happening every ten minutes? Uh, isn't it amazing? Not to age us, but you know, you and I did uh, grow up and go to high school in the days where it was cool for someone to make a rotating Van Halen logo on a computer. Oh yeah. Oh. Only rich kids had computers. Oh, it looks like Chrome. <laughs> I know. And so now to be a part of all of this shit live mm-hmm. and to watch this shit happen live, whether it's on fucking TikTok or someone's Facebook feed or Twitter, it, it's bonkers. Yeah. My wife just quietly said the other day, she goes, it's unbelievable. And just the, the tone in her voice was just like, kind of trying to compute because it's really hard to kind of compute what's happening. What's happening is really fucked up. Oh, but it's, but it's still yeah. happening. So I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> That's right. No spoilers. Yeah. You guys. Yeah. I already we did all- enough when I rushed the Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on the door. Somebody at the door again. Yeah. You don't have any of those chemical agents that you, uh, you, you pepper sprayed uh, us Capitol officers with, do you? And that yeah, I'm a chemical agent. Uh, I'm with chemical Gersh. And uh, they've been getting me a lot of work in, uh, uh, in, uh, on some chemical shows. I, I know you're a part of the Los Feliz uh, Proud Boys, so... You know. <laughs> yeah, the proudest of all. <laughs> the proudest. Yeah, we meet every morning at the House of Pies. Right. Yeah, you know, socially distanced, of course. More well, like, I was, it's I, a I, tent I, of pies now. <laughs> I, I, I was at the, uh, the Tam O'Shanter one night when you guys tried to take over the bar before the pandemic. Mm. Uh, you know, you were just har- harassing uh, people that were just I, trying to enjoy prime rib. I tell you, I love taking over the Tam O'Shanter. We try to take over the Tam O'Shanter every couple months. It's just like such a great place, such a great vibe. So we just go in there and take over. Just Can I actually say, quick tangent, I have, this is not a joke, for, I didn't do it last year, but for the 10 previous years, I actually hosted a Super Bowl party in the bar at the Tam O'Shanter. Oh, wow. Because no one went there to watch the Super Bowl. And the first year my friends and I did it, 
like there was literally nobody there. And we were like, this is such a great space. Fuck it. Let's just do this every year. We never had to give them any money. We never had to promise them anything. It's just on Super Bowl Sunday, no one thought to go to the Tam O'Shanter. And it I was would think that would be the first place people would go. I know. And it was horrifically shocking when it didn't happen. But we were so psyched because they would let us um, push all the tables together in the bar area so we could have the one big screen TV to ourselves. And uh, and even bring in a football shaped cake from the outside world. Oh, outside world cake! Yeah. Albertsons on fucking Hillhurst. Oh, that's against the rules, don't you know? Uh, I uh, uh, I would just I just sort of picture uh, like a really sad Irish band, and they're just playing. Are you ready for some football? <laughs> really, just just minor key mandolin. Well, I will say this. I do know that the Proud Boys uh, attacked the Griffin across the street. It's true. I, yeah, I didn't want to riff on that. <laughs> I was fully aware of that. I didn't want to riff on it. I mean, it's like, guys, the people at the Griffin, all they care about is their web series, their podcast, <laughs> getting staffed on a fucking game show. You know what I mean? Yeah. These aren't the people that you... <laughs> it's just insane. D- yeah, don't don't put them in. in uh, uh, they shouldn't be social gatekeepers. <laughs> Look, the reason that we're here uh, with Mr. Kapach is, as you know, from the Brando cast, we're going to talk about bands that are so fucking important to people in their lives. And we're just going to process everything through that filter. So without further ado, when I asked Mr. Kapach to come on today and what band he wanted to talk about. He talked about this band, XTC. XTC were an English rock band formed in Swindon back in 1972. Fronted by songwriters Andy Partridge and Colin Moulding, the band gained popularity during the rise of punk and new wave in the late 1970s. Partly because XTC did not fit into contemporary trends, they achieved only sporadic commercial success in the UK and the US, but attracted a considerable cult following, and they've influenced countless post-punk and Britpop bands since then. XTC, tell me, why? Well, can can we start off by saying that uh, No Thugs in Our House... I have Uh-oh. that on this nice 10-inch. It's one of my uh, one of my favorites. I'm sorry if the camera's backwards. No, no, for the theater of the mind, people. We're, yeah, you we're holding up a. Is that that is obviously a collectible, correct? 10-inch vinyl. I know. I listen listen to it all the time. Okay. XTC had great uh, releases. Here's the single for No Thugs in Our House. It's the 45, and uh, it opens up like this. Mm-hmm. It has a bunch of characters that you can cut out and use as a little play. Here's the insect-headed worker's wife who uh, uh, hanging her waspies on the line. Here's the uh, young policeman who just can't grow a mustache. Uh, here's the judge. It's, and you can cut it out, and you can put on a little play. It's all the while, Graham slept on, dreaming of a world where he could do just where he wanted, wanted to. I love this band because they did everything. They, they were so complete and, and all-encompassing. They had such a great universe to live in. And they, uh, uh, it was, they were fun. Fun and smart and weird. That was, I think that was the attraction. Sorry if I went off there. I was just so no, happy. No, I, that, I, I absolutely I love, love that. I'm, I'm wondering if that's eBayable. Yeah, I would never sell it. it I would. Right. I would get. It's probably worth seventy or eighty thousand dollars. But I would never, <laughs> never, never think of getting rid of it. Never at all. Okay, let me go back to something you said about XTC, uh, about the world that they created that you just love to jump into. What did that world feel like to you? Did it feel super British, or did it just did it just feel super cool? Uh, it felt cool. It felt very crafted. It, I, I, I trusted them as musicians. I think that was the, the, the first key is they were obviously great players and they played live a lot. I didn't get to uh, see it like a full concert or anything, but they, uh, 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 I liked, I, I always liked guitar sounds. I'm always a, I'm a guitar guy. I love the sound of guitars and they had such great guitar sounds. Um, especially the first, uh, uh when after go to, when they got in, when it was drums and wires, Black Sea, English settlement. When the the it was just guitars. It was such fantastic guitars, and the keyboards in in XTC I always loved because 
they were so oddly atmospheric. They were never up front, even though it was the 80s when all the keyboards were up front. It was always some sort of thing in the background that you wouldn't hear unless you were really, really listening. And uh, uh, like, like I have a version of a song uh, uh, with a longer, it's a longer cut of a song. It's uh, Heaven is Paved with Broken Glass. And there's a fade out at the end, but it keeps going. And there's a calliope under it that you weren't hearing the whole time. And there's this little calliope under the whole song. It's just, a, it, they're, they're such a, a great song crafters. And they worked together as a band live. They would they would come in with the song and they would all find parts for it. I'm sorry if I'm going on. I love them so much. No, no. I, I This I love so much. And I have another question for you, which is this. Um, I believe you grew up in the York, Pennsylvania area, correct? I did. I did. I did. Okay. So how th- does a kid from York, PA find XTC? Because back in the day... Even before MTV, it was kind of hard to find this eclectic music in America unless you absolutely listen to your local college radio station. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Well, I was still in high school, and uh, uh, I had when MTV came along, and one of the first videos I saw, uh, it was uh, Senses Working Overtime. And uh, uh, Mexican Radio by Wall of Voodoo, another huge band for me. But I was also working at the listening booth, which was a record store in the York Mall. It was like from a movie about working in a mall in 1983. And uh, uh, and, uh, I saw I would be able to see these bands and then go in and just completely, you know, get them out of the store and do a complete research. There was no internet, obviously, nothing like that. So, uh, uh, but I liked it. I got English settlement and just wore it out. And, uh, that's kind of, it was such a, uh, such a relief and such an escape. Cause I mean, I was listening to the police all the time who I, who I love. I go to the mat for the police because they were, I, I'm, a, I'm a little kid in Pennsylvania. There's no internet. There's no MTV yet. There's, yeah, I'm not college radio material yet. All I had was this band that managed to to become successful with a, sort of a, a, a more sophisticated sound that people liked, which was rare. And uh, uh, that helped kind of back, I guess that back engineered me into XTC a little bit too. Yeah, well, I feel the same way because uh, that video for Senses Working Overtime, and let me just take a time out from the... Uh, my chat with Blaine to explain to the listeners, to Brando's explain to the listeners, that in the days before Billie Jean, MTV actually played some really cool videos, and they played a lot of what we would call new wave videos from the UK. So Senses Working Overtime mm-hmm. popped through because it was so different, and those guys looked a little bit different. They had cool outfits on. It was a cool song. Uh, college radio college radio bound before any of that stuff was happening a hundred percent okay so but that's so the cool thing about this story for as i listened to you is that that was enough to pop through and hit you in the brain and grab you and go okay take a look at this band and the fact that that your record store had english settlement there was that a chain or was it more of like an indie store even though it was in the york mall no it was a it was a, a chain from Phil, based in philadelphia i think a listening booth and they became wall to wall sound now they're all out of business right but uh, uh, oh i think i have a do i have a bag here i do i have a bag here an unopened 45 from listening booth holy yeah i just i just it's the only vinyl that i brought with me out out west when i moved was my xtc my my favorite thing about working at Listening Booth was I was watching 120 minutes with Peter Zaremba. You remember that show? Oh yeah, on MTV, yep. and uh, he was and he was doing that thing where it's like I'm going to tell you about the new releases coming up out of it. You need look in your store, and uh, uh, and he's he holds up a picture of the Dukes of Stratosphere, and he they're playing it in the background. Dukes of Stratosphere from England, and they have a, a kind of a garagey psychedelic sound. It, but, 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 and I knew it was XTC. He was like joking. He was very coy about it. I knew it was XTC. And the next day we got a shipment of imports in and I ripped it open because I had to put it out on the floor and it was the first thing on top and I grabbed it. I have it here someplace. But it, it's uh, uh, just, and then it was like, oh, here's them doing this pastiche album of, uh, uh, it was before Sonic Sunspot. It was just that five song EP that they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was like, just, they were just so amazing. And they, they would, they would toss these things off and then do other things. They just, they never 
lived in it. They were, they were beetly like that. They would do a thing and then move on every now and then they, they would kind of have something would have the same vibe or the same sound, but they, they just kept progressing and didn't, Oh, we're, let's go back and do the, the, the black sea thing again. They, they never, they just didn't care. Well, let's go back and take our listeners through the genesis of XTC. Andy Partridge and Colin Moulding first met in the early 1970s and formed a glam outfit with drummer Terry Chambers. The band's name and lineup changed frequently back then, and it was not until 1975 that they became known as XTC. In 1977, the group made their debut on Virgin Records and were often noted for their energetic live performances. They aspired to be completely original and refused to play conventional punk rock. Instead, XTC's music was a mix of influences from ska, 60s pop, and psychedelic rock, and the avant-garde. In 1979, their single, Making Plans for Nigel, marked XTC's first commercial breakthrough. I have to say, for me, lately, oh, wait, he's Mr. Patch is holding up another thing. He is holding up what is also eBayable, in my mind, uh, a Making Plans for Nigel 45. Uh, and what are the back songs? The, the, oh, sorry, the B-sides. This is pop and mechanic dancing on Wego. They were, uh, another thing I love about XTC, sorry, is uh, they were a fantastic B-sides band. Their B-sides were better than a lot of A-sides. I mean, that's a, sort of a hacky thing to say, but it's very, very true. Good bands have good B-sides, and it's like getting a whole different album with every song that you would get. I mean, I love XTC, but I don't have the level of fandom that, that you have. So you feel like their craft for the B-sides was as heavy as their craft for the for the A-sides. Well, it was songs that they would record and they wouldn't want to, they didn't feel were right for an album for whatever reason. And they just put it on as a B-side or maybe they were feuding or maybe they didn't like it so much, but it was always good, good stuff. They were my favorite songs. Usually the, like, Blame the Weather and... Uh, 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 pulsing, pulsing, and Officer Blue. It was always, always the weirder B-side stuff that I would gravitate to, and I would just make, I would make mixtapes because I was on the road doing comedy in the '80s, and XTC was kind of all I had. I would just make these tapes and just listen to them for hours in the car. I knew every note, and it was, I mean, I did it for years and years. But and then I fell out of XTC when I kind of when when the Pixies came along. It was almost that was after Oranges and Lemons, I guess. Uh, sorry if I'm so fanny. I'm, I'm more no, fanny no, than I thought I, I was. It. But I stopped listening to XTC for 20 years. I wouldn't, I just, I, you know, I've, every now and then I'd listen to them. But they weren't coming up on a, any sort of shuffle for me any time. I wasn't putting the albums on. I was listening to different stuff. And, uh, uh, and they were fun to rediscover and remember. It's like, oh, I love all this stuff. Why was I not listening to this the whole time? Who else were you listening to when you were working at that record store? Uh, I remember at the record store, they would, we would have whatever was on the charts. We had a, a, a stuff, a, a, a stack of records that we had to play in the store. And, uh, uh, so I got sick of those, even though if, even if they were good, but it was like, uh, the final cut by Pink Floyd, which would bum everybody out. Duran <laughs> uh, uh, Duran was huge when I was working there. So that was like, a, you know, working at fast times at Ridgemont high girls coming in with the sideways hair and everything's all pastel. And they're buying just 12 inches. Just, it's, and this is like before CDs. This is all 45s and cassettes and stuff. But uh, uh, Huey Lewis Sports, Cindy Lauper, She's So Unusual, uh, uh, Psychedelic Furs with uh, the, the one that had the ghost in you. So I, but then I was working with another guy who was really into Rush. And he was always educating me about Rush. We would talk about Rickenbackers and Rush. And so I got into this Rush kick about the same time I got into to XTC. Not as much into Rush. I love Rush, but not certainly not like XTC. I'm, I'm you know, British, uh, uh, English pop-based. I moved to Los Angeles in September of 1990, and by October 1st of 1990, I got a job at Tower Westwood, which yeah. would also mean that every once in a while I would get to go to work at Tower Sunset if they like needed extra people or whatever. And the hilarious thing about uh, working at those places was the politics over who got to play music in the store. Mm-hmm. I remember and that. I, it was such, there was such a hierarchy in terms of who, which record store uh, nerd clerk was in charge of the music. But for me, Jane's Addiction, Ritual, De La Habitual, 
Okay. And Cocteau Twins, Heaven in Las Vegas, those were like the two biggest records that were that were playing at Tower Westwood in the fall of 1990. And those things, every time I hear a song on either of those records, I am instantly behind the counter. Mm-hmm. Also stealing my own CDs because because uh, at that time CDs came in those big. Ju- Remember when they used to oh, come the in big, the big long giant cardboard box? So I'll just I'll just teach you yeah. the tower the tower employee scam. We were told to ask customers if they would like to recycle their boxes on the spot. So after they buy the CD, we'd go, "Would you like to recycle this box?" And they'd go, "Yes." And you'd cut open the box and hand them the CD. The magnetic security strip was on the box. It wasn't on the CD. So we learned pretty quickly that all you had to do was just walk around the store, collect what you wanted, cut open the boxes, and uh-huh. stuff the CDs in a bag. And then at oh. the end of the night, just walk out with the bag. I think we have enough. Move in. All of a sudden, your door gets kicked in. One of those big battering ram things. <laughs> I know. Hey, where, I were know. You, where were you guys? I'm I'm banking on a statue of limitations here. And I will also say back in the day, and you might remember this little this little place. Way back in the day, there was a used CD store right next to the Whiskey A Go Go. Between Dukes and the Whiskey, there was a little bullshit used CD store. And I promise everyone listening to this podcast today, all of the CDs that that place got were from Tower employees who stole them from Tower and <laughs> came came down the street to make an extra, an extra 60, 70, 80 bucks. By good hustle, you guys. It's a good hustle. <laughs> that was not chronicled in Colin Hanks' fantastic documentary about Tower Records. By 1980, frontman Andy Partridge was fatigued from the band's grueling touring regiment. During one performance on their Drums and Wires tour, Partridge suffered momentary amnesia for getting XTC songs as well as his own identity. Once the tour was done, XTC had only a few weeks to write their fourth record. Black Sea was released in September of 1980 to critical acclaim and peaked at number 16 in the UK, also number 41 in the US. The album included the XTC hits, Generals and Majors. Um, Have you, sir, ever had momentary amnesia on stage to the point where you forgot your own identity? Not to where I've forgotten my own identity. I've frozen up and I've gotten in in an inexplicable stage seizure upper, whatever it is, where I just, like, like, uh, where I, I completely blank. But uh, uh, it's it's rare and rare and weird, and I, uh, it happened a couple times when I was starting out. I think, and I don't I don't like to get into the the personal stuff of XTC. The thing that I had heard, and I, this, the stage fright thing is very famous. But uh, uh, I think the thing that uh, he was getting off meds, or I think he was fighting with his wife or his girlfriend. And uh, she took all his meds and threw them out, and he w- went on tour, and he hadn't he hadn't descended from uh, thirty five thousand feet properly. He went from you know thirty five thousand into the ground with his with the these prescription drugs, and I think that's what sent him over the edge. So you know, I mean, and, and I'm I, I'm not that. putting I don't want to say anything about anybody's state of mind. That's I feel bad. No, I, I think you're right. I think that that I'm I'm just reading the silly like called from Wikipedia oh, version sure. of the story. But I think that that's that the, the, there's a better version of why he started to have performance anxiety. Yeah, or just had a, a had a, an experience, as you said, uh, crash landing to Earth because his brain wasn't quite. Uh, functioning on all cylinders. Yeah, I, th- I don't think he had a. I don't think he had a breakdown. I think he just sort of had a misstep, I guess. Right. But, but it's. Uh, but he took. He took advantage of it to say, "Fuck this. I don't need to. I don't need to have this kind of pressure in my life where I'm, where I'm, you know, on on the floor in a hotel room in Germany, like in a fetal position because I don't know what's going on. You know, why do you have to put yourself through that? What's what was your experience touring as a comedian? Yeah, it's. I think the thing about being on tour is, as a comedian, is is it's hours and hours of solitude, and then a two or three hour burst of, of as many people as you can get in a room looking at you, and then hours of solitude to think about what you said and how they reacted. So uh, uh, it, there's a lot of time to yourself. I'm sure if you're if you're with a band, 
that uh, that you're you have something to do with four other people, three other people, whatever, and you have other things. You have a schedule, more of a schedule, I guess, if you're with a band. But yeah, it was just like a lot of driving and listening to music, and then running my act in my car, you know, bored in a hotel room, and then driving home. I never went out too long. Uh, oh, you never went out on the road too long. Is that because you sort of knew like it, it's it's just too grueling and too odd and strange at the end of the day? No, I had cats. <laughs> so I just want to get home, be with my cats, you know? And it, it's, and I, I would never, I mean, when I was living in Baltimore, I would go out in the car. That was where I would, you know, be up and down the coast doing shows every weekend and driving to si- different cities and stuff. But I always went home. If I could, if I could drive home, that night I would always go home. And then out here, it's like, uh, uh, you can work clubs in the city and do a lot of stuff in the city. Uh, and if I go out on the road, I'll, it'll be like a, just a one hitter where I get on a plane and go somewhere and come back for after a weekend, but you know, not, not in these unprecedented times. As a fan of yours, I will say this. I was always aware of you, of Pat Oswald, of Paul Tompkins. I think the first place I saw you was at the Onyx on Vermont. I swear to God. I swear, I mean, this is like, as the Largo scene hasn't really even gotten going yet. Um, and there yeah, was, yeah, that was before, before it was at Largo. It went to Pedro's after the Onyx. It was across the street. Now it's a sports bar. First place I saw Tenacious D was at Pedro's on Vermont. Mm-hmm. And, and Patton was on that bill too. And I think Karen Colgare. But the thing that I always marveled at about you guys was all of you seem to have an ethos about driving around Southern California in the same night, meaning that you could do Pedro's, but you could also do the ice house or you could do, I think borders books and Westwood had a comedy night upstairs. You know what I mean? And I always marveled at you guys because you were willing to drive to the far edges of the city. But back then you could, Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in the day, like young for all you youngsters out there, it, you used to be able to drive from Hollywood and Santa Monica in the same day. Yeah, not anymore. They they uh, uh they, they started playing the game at the uh hard level instead of uh normal. It's uh yeah, it's a three hour commute either way if you're going out. But you know, if, if you're doing stuff late at night, you're okay. Okay. And certainly during the pandemic with everybody terrified which is great for traffic what was the most random place you did comedy back during the sort of the the heyday of the 90s when you guys seemed to be performing every night of the week somewhere the alt comics you know uh i i we did a show at a sex toy shop out in santa monica boulevard near lincoln that was fun and there was uh there was, I guess, the DJ. I remember. Oh, the DJ was. Uh, he was in this room that had a little rectangle cut out of it, like a like a short order cook thing restaurant. But there's a DJ in there, and I just kept talking to him like the short order cook the, the whole night because the crowd could give a fuck. They were, you know, maybe ten people, and the bar was laughing. You know, p- bartenders laughing. If the bartenders laughing, you're okay. But it was, it was just comics waiting to go on. <clears throat> that was pretty fun. Wait, wait, wait. If the bartender's laughing, you're okay. Is that is that yeah, a, a, a law that I don't know about? Well, the staff, this, usually the staff sees it all the time. So if they laugh, it's like okay, I'm funny. They think I'm funny. If they they won't they won't laugh if they uh, this fucking guy they don't laugh at, <laughs> they don't laugh at that. The, the 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 waitresses the bartenders and the waitresses at comedy clubs are always the are always your best friends. Uh, uh, you know if you're if you're you know you're cool to them and they're cool to you if uh, uh, they help the show out. Some are, some are good, some are bad. It's very Dr. Susie. I that is fantastic intel. I don't think I've ever heard that, but that no, makes so it's like sense. Lenny Bruce would 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 say that he's like I just play to I play to the band. You know, if you're on if I'm on stage and there, I've done shows where I'm on stage and there's a band on stage, and I play to the band while I'm looking at the audience, and then I'll use the band to get cheap laughs. <laughs> it's it's fun, you know. I think the same is true on a set. If the crew laughs, yeah, that that means that the joke is actually funny. Yeah, because they, they, yeah, they they see it all the time. And if if you're if you're entertaining them, it's like okay, well, I'm doing something right. Oh, here's the generals and majors. Forty five. I just found. Uh, okay, Blaine is holding up. Uh, is that a seven inch LP? What is? Yeah, that? A, these are forty fives. With a uh, this is a oh, and it has a free single in this one. 
Don't Lose Your Temper, Smokeless Zone, one of my absolute, maybe my favorite XTC song is Smokeless Zone, and The Somnabulist, which is a, uh, an Andy Partridge, uh, one of those moody things. He gets very Damon Albarney, or Damon Albarney gets very Andy Partridge-y, where he'll do these like rocky things, very poppy things, but then he'll do something very very atmospheric and slow and weird uh, and droney, and that's what I... That's what I love. Here's a thing that Andy Part. This is one of my favorite XTC albums. It's Mr. Partridge uh, take away the lore of salvage, and he took a bunch of XTC songs and kind of dub remixed them and deconstructed them. And it's uh, uh, especially for fans. It's it's a lot of fun because it's like like the Beatles love, where it's like spot the spot what that's from, spot what this is from. English Settlement was released on February 12th, 1982, and marked a turn towards more pastoral pop songs that would dominate later XTC releases. It reached number five on the UK album charts and even hit number 48 in the US and showed up in New York, PA. The album includes Ball and Chain, No Thugs in Our House, and Senses Working Overtime. A big tour was scheduled in support of the album, but it was canceled after several dates due to Andy Partridge's worsening exhaustion the band stopped touring and became a studio-based band centered around partridge moulding and guitarist dave gregory and you already mentioned that english settlement was that great thing that you were able to get at the record store in new york yeah it's one of the, one of those albums where i wore it out and had to get another one and i still i still love the import thing because it has this pebbled uh, sleeve to it i'm usually not a vinyl record guy but it's just they're just so fun it's a fun band like Pokemon cards with these guys. One thing that I did like about this, I'm sorry if this is if this digresses. Uh, when I was a com- working as a comedian was great because I would go to different cities and I loved XTC. So I would have to go. I couldn't go to regular record stores. I would have to find places that would have XTC. So if I would go to Richmond, Virginia, I would find out where the weird record shop was, and I would have to go hunting for it. And I would go into a weird neighborhood and find a restaurant or a coffee shop in this record store, and I'd find weird XTC stuff I was looking for, or maybe not because I had a lot of stuff. I had, but but I had to like check off all these boxes. But I would find other bands and get turned on to different stuff. So XTC fandom helped me explore different cities and learn about and, and go into different neighborhoods and and have new experiences, which is which is great. Uh, we're we're brothers from another mother because that's how that was the first thing I would do when I would go to a new city, uh, as I would try to figure out where the cool the cool guy record store was. Yeah. Uh, and it was always in the Bohemian neighborhood uh, where the the uh, the bohos lived. Um, I remember the first time I went to New York, and I went to a record store in the village that was on Sullivan Street, and they had boot- oh down from Mister Cacciatore's. Down from Mister Cacciatore's, right? <laughs> um, Let's talk about Billy Joel for an hour and a half. I, I love him. That with I just did that with Jamie Denbo. The, okay, with well the then forget Jamie it. Denbo. I forget it. I was yeah. lying. I hate him. <laughs> um, uh, but, but I, I remember walking in, uh, as a teenager being on a, on a vacation in New York and going into this, you know, cool guy record store and seeing bootlegs. And it just was mind blowing to me because I'd heard about bootlegs, but I'd actually never seen like the finished product, like a poorly pressed record with a handmade cover. And they had all these Bruce Springsteen, um, bootlegs. And I still have uh, that recording. It was from a, a show at the Capitol Theater. But uh, it's so important to find that story because that's the other thing about for all you young kids out there, we didn't have computers that would allow us to access music instantly. Exactly. We had to find it. Had which to was find it. part of the game. And that's how you knew if you really liked it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like if you're going to yep. waste your time. Hey, you know, you know what was weird is I would go up to New York. I was living in Baltimore for years. Mm-hmm. And I would drive up to New York, and I remember when Skylarking came out, which was the uh, uh, the Dear God album. And uh, I went, I my girlfriend and I drove specifically to New York so that I could get Skylarking the day it came out. And uh, we, I went to Bleaker Bob's, the big famous record store down in the village, and I was like, I'm going to Bleaker Bob's, I'm going to get Skylarking. Oh man, it's going to be so cool. Went and couldn't find it, and I just they didn't have it. And I was like, I, that's kind of weird. So I, I went to the tower. And, uh, like it, it, it was, it kind of, and they had plenty of them and I was like, Oh, the band I like is big now. They've, they've sort of leveled up a little bit. 
they were a little shinier, they were a little glossier, and I could find them. I could find them easily in a, a big record store. That was sort of a, a little little a, adulting moment for me. Um, well, your adulting moment is taking us straight into this. Skylarking was XTC's ninth studio record, and it was released on October 27, 1986. Produced by Todd Rundgren, it became one of XTC's best-known albums and is generally regarded as their finest work. Skylarking was heavily influenced by the music of the 1960s. Most of the recording was done at Rundgren's Utopia Sound Studio in Woodstock, New York, Rundgren played a large role in the album's sound design and drum programming. Rundgren also provided the band with orchestral arrangements and an assortment of gear. However, the sessions were fraught with tension, especially between Rundgren and Andy Partridge. That, to me, that's the college record. Because I get the college in the fall of 1986, 87-88. Everyone has uh, The Cure uh, standing on a beach. Everyone has Joshua Tree. Everyone has Skylarking. Uh, what an incredible record! Oh, I liked it. Yeah, it was uh, uh, it was more Beach Boys ish than the the Dukes of Stratosphere. Although I thought the Dukes of Stratosphere Beach Boys was more fun. It was very serious, and it had a it had another satellite on it, which I loved because it was it had the uh, the guitar, the weird XTC guitars that I loved, and little off chords and stuff like that. And, uh, but it was, I, I thought it was nicely tied together. And, uh, I love Todd Rundgren. I, uh, I don't know. I had, the, yeah, this is, sorry. I'm trying to figure out a polite way to get into it. Cause I like nope, the album, right. but I remember I was like, Oh, okay. It was a little more, a little, not as guitar-y as I like. It's like, like I said, the, another satellite jumped out to me. Um, but, uh, it's like, I, and I love the album and it's, and it's great, but, uh, uh, I heard demos for it. I got, I got, uh, bootleg demos at a place in Lancaster, Pennsylvania from this record store owner named Chuck. And he said, you like XTC here? He he just hands me a cassette of Skylarking demos and it's all of the home demos, which he's released since then all cleaned up and stuff. But, uh, it was all these demos for Skylarking and it was just these these really stripped down guitar-y, drummy, the super simple weird XTC songs, and they uh, and I liked it so much better than the actual Skylarking that it kind of took me out of it a little bit. And I love Todd Rundgren and I love XTC, but it's Skylarking is is uh, 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 not the one I reach for. Is, is that I, I feel bad saying about it because I don't want to talk badly no, about I, my I want to know what happened to Chuck. I, I want to know what happened to Chuck. Oh, I don't know. That was uh, that was back. That was Lancaster, PA. That was back in the in the Jesus the eighties. Had to be in the eighties. That, that's probably gone by now. I, I remember uh, the other thing I got. I, uh, he would see me come in and he would go. Uh, they're on a. They do a Captain. Be- not even say hi. They do a Captain Beefheart cover uh, on this compilation over here. And he would just point to this thing, and it was oh, it's Ella Guru by captain beefheart and and i would get this whole album for this one xtc song and i didn't have the money for it and the rest of the album would suck I'd be like, there was one they, uh, there was a cover of uh, a Jimi hendrix cover album called if six was nine and it's all hendrix covers and you know stuff like uh, uh beavis frond and giant sand and that kind of those bands and it's really good but uh there's a uh, there's an xtc where they they do uh uh uh, I forget which one it is it's on the tip of my tongue, but as this band David Dreams, they recorded it under the name David Dreams, and I and it was uh, I had to get it on an import, and it was so expensive, and I didn't have the money, and I bought it, and it sucked, and I was so mad. It just the, people don't understand what it was like when you couldn't buy songs one at a time. Yep, when you had to save up and decide which album you were going to get. You kids, <laughs> god damn it, you kids. Get off my lawn! You know we need that. We need those. We need those record store people in our lives to tell us what to what to find. And we really do. Yeah, he, we he need some of those characters who 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 hide some of the stuff before they put it on the floor, right? Yeah. So, like, oh, you want this? Okay. <laughs> All right. I, some, I, I have. Oh, oh, yeah, I think I have a thing. Yeah, I know you have a thing because you're holding it in the fucking back, <laughs> asshole. Yeah. I yeah. had Peter Jesperson who managed the re- replacements back in the day. I had him on this podcast 
And he, before he managed the replacements and started Twin Tone Records, he was the manager of Orfolk Joke Opus in Minneapolis. And that was the record store. And uh, he, he just told great stories about how those guys, it was their job to curate music. And they really felt like it was their job to find that stuff that kids could not find at a national uh, chain yeah. and, and present it to them. There was uh, there was a guy at a uh, that worked at a record store in Baltimore down in Fells Point, and I think his name was Chris X. This is in 1990, 91. And uh, I remember, oh yeah, it was 90. And uh, I, I just found out about the Pixies, and I went down there, and, and he had all this Pixie stuff. But then uh, whenever you would buy something from him, and if he agreed with it, he would kind of this silent nod. It's like, I feel like I'm... What am I in a Dan Klaus strip? I have to get this guy's nod. Oh, okay, this is good. He nodded. This junkie that lives in Fell's Point, <laughs> you know. And he had like he was he had a bunch of tattoos, and that was like back when it's like nobody had tattoos yet. Right. Do you remember that? Do you remember when nobody had tattoos unless unless they were in the Navy in the World War II where they were criminals? <laughs> Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne had two tattoos and blew people's it, it, minds. Blew people. Lines. <laughs> Whoa! Oh my God! I was. Uh, uh, we were doing Lucha Vavum, the Mexican wrestling burlesque show. We were doing it in Portland at this wonderful place, and one of our dancers started at a club up there called Mary's Club, which was a all female run strip club, and it was awesome and a lot of lot of fun. Uh, uh, and uh, I remember we were all sitting there, and I'm not a strip club guy; I don't go to strip clubs. But uh, it was really cool. It was a good vibe, and this one girl came on, and I remember like, what is going on with her there's something about her that's really uh, in- intriguing it's like, oh no tattoos it's the first girl all night that had absolutely no tattoos and people were going crazy it was it was bizarre and, and i hope that doesn't sound weird but it's just a weird people no, having it, tattoo no, it, story it, it's it is there have been many cultural sea changes uh, yeah a lot, of, a lot of full circles a lot of full circles brendan um i one of the reasons that i i love lucha vavum is the music Oh, yeah. And the music that they play, uh, the times that I've gone, and I hope you can uh, teach me where it comes from, is all this incredible, it's talking about XTC, all this incredible psychedelic and garage rock, but in foreign languages. Oh, yeah. In Spanish. I don't know if they were Mexican bands that were playing Kinks and Yardbirds covers. I don't know, you know, the yeah, Dallas of host and stuff like all those guys. Yeah. So where so the DJ or was it you? Was it you or was it the DJ or who was choosing this music to play before Lucha Vavum? Uh, it's uh, it's Segan, who's one of the producers of the show. He's the the DJ, the Sonic Ape, Segan friend. Uh, but it's it's all this old uh, '60s garage stuff. It's just Latin covers of of the big hits, and it would be bands that would be like the Standells, the way the Standells would just cover all these the songs of the time. And you know trog style stuff, but it was it was all Mexican bands and and Brazilian bands. Uh, uh, you know they would shave into the little strip and hold for laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the bad reach. But yeah, it's uh, uh, there's a Nuggets collection. You know the you know the Nuggets collections. Of the, course, the big the big Ford CD things. There's one. Uh, it's called Los Nuggets with a Z, and it's all all that stuff. Okay, great. So I can get that stuff if I go online and try to track down the Los Nuggets CD. Yeah, Los Nuggets with a Z. Okay, great. I got it. Thank you very much because I, it's been driving me crazy forever, and I didn't want to be the guy to walk up to the DJ during one of those shows and go, "Hey, what are you playing?" You know? Yeah, he's he he gets it all the time. It's it's always it's it's like, oh my god, is this? Wait, this is don't bother me. <laughs> it's in Spanish. Right. Right or or satisfaction by the stones. Yeah, yeah. Some with old, you know, kink stuff. You know, like well respected man in Spanish is fantastic. So excellent. You know what else is fantastic? Oranges and Lemons is the eleventh studio album and the second double album by the English band XTC. It was released on February twenty seventh, nineteen eighty nine. It's the follow up to nineteen eighty six's Skylark. The title, derived from the nursery rhyme of the same name, was chosen in reference to the band's poor financial standing at the time, while the music is characterized as an 80s update of 1960s psychedelia. It received critical acclaim and became the band's highest charting album since English 
settlement. It rose to number 44 in the U.S. Oranges and Lemons. Is this around the time when you're like, oh, okay, Pixies, you're my new band? Oh no! This was—I had just—I remember this well because I was—it was—I was living in my first apartment after I had moved away from home. So I was living in a—was uh, me and Mark Voice, my friend Mark Voice, another comedian. We had this big flat on St. Paul and North Avenue in Baltimore, and uh, I got oranges and lemons. And I remember uh, after I got it, I uh, had a hit of acid and took acid by myself and just sat and listened to it in my room. And like salamanders on the walls and stuff. Oh, this is okay. It's fun. Mm. Uh, and then a guy, uh, my neighbor, got into a fight in the alley behind my apartment and was swinging an axe at him. That was great. <laughs> uh, but, the, uh, but yeah, I remember Oranges and Lemons. Uh, uh, that has Peter, not Peter Pumpkinhead on it. That has uh, Mayor of Simpleton on it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I liked it because it, it was, it seemed like it was like playing Candyland, like you're just sort of going square. Each song was a little square through this weird thing that they had constructed. They were so meticulous in the studio. I loved it. They were just would hear, they would just hear stuff and put stuff in. They knew when stuff needed to be put in stuff. But that was that was also uh, for me. They uh, uh, when Terry Chambers left, their drummer, their powerhouse drummer, this metronome guy left after uh english settlement and he was you know maybe would do one or two things but not really and then moved to australia to be a construction worker uh but i uh, i definitely miss terry chambers especially uh because uh, he would his drumming would make them play more would make them play differently i thought and when the uh when that leash was taken off of andy partridge it and it just became his little little sandbox uh, uh i always i always felt not that their drummers were were bad in, in in any way but but like i always missed terry chambers and i thought oranges and lemons would have been fantastic with with a real with a real like a uh, uh, pile driver drummer like him there's a i read a book about xtc and there's a uh uh i can't remember the name of it offhand sorry sorry i should know this but uh there's a chapter in it and it's just other drummers talking about how fantastic he is how he would just like imprint something on his head and play these amazing parts. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, Terry Terry Chambers, I love it. He recently reunited with Colin Molding, and they did a thing uh, what for maybe a year or something. But I think they stopped. I don't know if Colin's in the best of health. Um, my question for you, and because I'm dying to know, since you threw it sort of threw it on the table, but kept going. How do you and Mark decide to move to Baltimore? <laughs> oh, uh, well, I was living, I grew up in York, Pennsylvania, which was about an hour north of Baltimore. And uh, I was doing comedy there all the time. So I just moved out of my parents' house. I was 22. And I moved in with my friend, Mark Voice, who was a comedian. He was like, I need a place. Let's move into this place, man. We moved it. It was another comic. Uh, his name was Woogie. Yeah, just Woogie Hom. Uh, so Woogie is, uh, uh, Woogie was moving out. We just took over his lease. And that was a bad, bad part of town. Very bad is, part of town. Is Baltimore more connected to York than Philly is? Yeah, Philly is a couple, couple. It's of, farther. Yeah, farther. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. I would. I mean, I was. If I was living in Baltimore, it was two hours to Philly, two hour, an hour to DC, two hours to Richmond, four hours to uh, to Raleigh for Charlie Goodnights, five hours to Pittsburgh, four hours to New York. Yeah, because I grew up in Pittsburgh, so. The, I I totally understand the geography. What was it called? Charlie Goodnights in Charlie Richmond? Goodnights in uh, Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh. Yeah, that's a great club, fantastic club. I was just last time I was there was 2013, I think. For all you fans of Mid Atlantic comedy, <laughs> oh man, Charlie Goodnights is the place. I did I did a week with Elaine Boozler there. I did a week with uh, Robert Schimmel there. I did a week with Bill Hicks there. Just, wow. a, just a great club. It's a great club. If you're in, if you're ever in Raleigh, go to Charlie Goodnights, please. And it's still, it's still running. Still running. Oh, fantastic! I, yeah, well, I not, 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 not in these un, unprecedented times, though. Um, as someone who grew up in York, did pro wrestling come into your existence in any way, shape, or form? Because it was so fucking huge in that part of the world back in the early '80s. You know, I think I was, I was sort of out of, I was out of Pennsylvania in 80 jesus 86 87 maybe but i was 
I started comedy in 85 and I was 20 and I didn't, I wasn't really into stuff like wrestling. I was aware of it on the periphery. It wasn't that big in my life. Uh, and it was certainly wasn't as big as it is now, but it was, uh, uh, I missed a lot of stuff cause I was on the road. I missed going to, I missed seeing a lot of bands because I would be doing comedy and I, you know, just wasn't able to, to, I wouldn't see TV shows that everybody watched because I was on, you know, on my way to a club. That is insane to me. I would have I, I, I would have assumed that you would have seen more bands than anybody, but you were busy <laughs> like doing the thing that built your life. Yeah. So. <laughs> I would see bands if I could. Like uh, there was a place in in the fish market in Baltimore, there's a mall called the Fish Market where Slapsticks Comedy Club was. Sure. There was also a, a a rock club in there next to the Fat Tuesdays. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember what the name of the club was, but I saw Nine Inch Nails, a tiny club. I saw Nine Inch Nails there in the Feelies, and it's like I w- just walking down the mall. And like uh, Lord Corret, a comedian named Lord Corret, great guy, good friend of mine. We were playing Richmond, Virginia. Uh, uh, he's a rockabilly dude. He goes, "Let's go see some live music after the show." And we, uh, he looks through the paper. We go to this club called Twisters which is, you know, like, like the game twister with there's like dots painted on the wall, like tiny bar and, uh, the spin doctors played and like a year and they were fucking great. Yeah. And I know. And it was like, it's like they were fun and they were super professional. And the crowd was like, these guys are going to be huge. And then a year later they were huge. And it was like, I saw those guys at that shitty bar. Cause I was down doing a bad one nighter with my friend, Lord coming back from Roanoke or something. And then we all decided that the Spin Doctors sucked because of that one song and the one bad video. Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody kind of got tired of him. He's great on, on Twitter, though. Chris Barron, the lead singer guy. And he's self-deprecating. I yeah. love it. The Eve uh, Six guy is doing great on Twitter right now. He's so <laughs> funny. I love the Eve Six guy. Are, for real? I don't know this. For real, yeah. The Eve Six guy is on Twitter. He's owning it. Him and Dion Warwick are my two new favorites. Uh, by the way, uh, Dion Warwick just tweeted the other day, what is everyone's um, resolutions for the new year? And I wrote, uh, my only resolution is for you to do my podcast. She wrote back within five minutes and said, please contact her point person. And now I'm waiting to see if Dion Warwick is going to come on my dumb show. I'll, t- I'll but- talk to her. Tell her. <laughs> in for you. Thank you very much. Now, as a, as a, as a Gen X kid like myself, let me just tell you the the person on Twitter who never ceases to amaze me uh, that he's one of us is Richard Marx. Oh yeah, he's a man. He's an attack dog. That guy. I and I love it, and and I want yeah. to apologize to him. I love it, and I want to say, Richard, I'm I'm the asshole who spent most of his time in the '80s making fun of you. I'm so uh. sorry. <laughs> I was only listening to the replacements and Husker Du and Sonic Youth back then, but. Hey, God bless you. I'm going to buy your records because you're awesome. Yeah, it's the the older you get, it's like, uh, why should I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much time slagging off bands. I know. It's like, it's too. like, cause, cause it's, it's a, uh, in comedy, if I go to a club and I'm on a, sh- if it's me and two other comics and the one guy sucks and the other guy is okay, but he's not my cup of tea, I don't go, these guys are assholes. It's like, we're all hired. We're all on the show. It, it, you know, they're, they're doing their thing. Everybody be cool. It's it's just a it's a waste of energy. I agree, and I I've only come to that understanding, uh, really in the last year about music and musicians. Just celebrate it all. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of those assholes who turned on the Bee Gees too. I had Saturday Night Fever, but then my next record was Kiss Destroyer. So as a result, the Bee Gees suck, and we called them names. And now I'm like, no, they are one of the greatest bands of all time. Oh yeah, and the fucking is ridiculous you know i i had a when i was a kid very little kid i got a guitar for christmas when i was like seven and i would take guitar lessons from mr fry and he would have little record lps for sale in his guitar instruction room and one of them was the bgs and this was before saturday night live i was like who the fuck are these weird looking and i didn't know what any of the music was and then later uh, I remember being on Sherry Newcomer's porch and she goes, let's listen to this and holds up a 45 of jive talking. And I just remember watching that little RSO pig spinning around and going, this is, this is new. And then uh, it was like, Oh, it's those guys from Mr. Fry's guitar shop. Those weird Australian dudes with the giant pizza slice lapels. 
and the fucked up teeth and the, uh, oh man, this is awesome. So I, I always liked the Bee Gees. I never had a problem with them. Let me just give you the floor for like one second, and then I want to hear about what you're up to, and if you have anything to promote, just throw it out there, and then I'll ask you one final, very important question. Okay. So, final thoughts on XTC. Uh, I read, a, a Andy was was uh, on Twitter briefly, <clears throat> and he would show you how to do weird guitar chords, and he was very helpful and stuff. But uh, the thing that he, uh, that he said that really made me laugh was... Uh, his relationship with Colin Molding. I always liked Colin's songs more than Andy's, even though I loved Andy's songs. Colin's songs were a lot more emotional and I felt had a lot more, more weight and, and, uh, just, just, they were more moving. I thought not better, whatever. I don't, I don't want to pit them against each other, but Andy loved pitting himself against Colin for some reason. And he said, uh, Colin is the George Harrison to my Lennon McCartney, which was just such a, just I, Andy Partridge is such a wonderful ego. I love him. He's uh, 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 the confidence of his lyrics and the uh, and the quiet confidence of Collins playing was I thought what what made that band wonderful. And Dave Gregory is such a fantastic player. Sorry if I'm just now I'm just gushing no. about them. No. I met XTC when they played the big show in uh, uh, in M, uh, New York. Oh. They it was for uh, they, I forget what album it was from. The, oh, it was from uh, Oranges and Lemons, and they were playing an acoustic tour. They weren't going out live, but they were doing special acoustic performances. I had a friend, Mike Sweeney, who was a comedian, and he called me in Baltimore, and he said, hey, I'm doing warm-up for the big show, and XTC is playing. I know you love them. If you can get up here in four hours, I can get you in. So I drove up there in three hours, and, uh, and I met XTC and saw them play, which was great. They smelled like sea breeze. Because they were coming out of, uh, they were coming out of makeup, and I was such a fanboy. I have pictures somewhere. They're back in my parents' house. I have pictures of me with uh, Andy holding his hands over my ears. Andy, I was such a fanboy to Andy. I wish I could apologize, but I don't want to bring it up. Um, uh, Colin was distracted. He had his daughter with her, but Dave Gregory was such a wonderful guy and he knew I was an awkward kid who loved the band and he stood with me and talked with me and was so nice and cool. Uh, and I just want to thank Dave Gregory and all those guys for being a great band. Isn't it fun fun when you meet some of your heroes and they're actually good people rather than it's, yeah, it was, it was fun. And like I said, I was such a fanboy. Oh my God. I had a a pin. (laughs) It's like, what a a knob. That's so fantastic. All right. Now, speaking of fans, what are you up to? And is there anything you want to promote right now before we wrap this up? Uh, you know what? I'm, uh, you can always hear me on Brian Posehn's nerd poker podcast where I play dungeons and dragons. I'm currently an elf named Jelf. Uh, it's always a lot of fun. We have great guests. What level? Uh, what level? we just leveled up to fourth. <laughs> Very happy. Yeah, you know, I got, uh, I got, uh, I can add two to an ability score, or I can take a spell. I might take a spell, but uh, that's uh, Nerd Poker. Brian Posehn's Nerd Poker. Oh, and check out his his metal album, Grandpa Metal. It's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, Lucha Vavoom when this uh, these unprecedented times are over, and uh, that's pretty much it. I'm laying low and uh, doing second grade homeschool with my kid, which is great because I'm picking up a lot of stuff I missed. I would not be able to handle my ninth grade math. Just just, no way. I I see the symbols that I learned as a child and I'm like, what do those things mean? I have no fucking idea. It's sunny. It's cloudy. What are you talking about? (laughs) What are these things? Oh, God damn it. Well, all you did was crush it today, Blaine. And, And I cannot thank you. I cannot thank you for enough for participating in the Brando cast today. So thank you for I, having me. Final question, is, and you mentioned it before. What's your favorite song so we can play you out with that? Your favorite uh, XTC song? My favorite XTC song? I think I said it before, so I'll say it again. I think this was a B-side from the uh, uh, from the English settlement area, at era, but it was uh, written, I think, probably at the end of Black Sea. It's a, uh, it's a Colin song. Uh, a Colin Moulding song, and it's about uh, England sort of deteriorating. 
but uh, there's the synthesizers in it. Uh, uh, it. It's the most XTC sounding song there is, and it has one of their just wonderful chugging fade outs, uh, Smokeless Zone. All right, Smokeless Zone, thank you, Blaine, and thanks to the rest of you for listening, subscribing, liking. So until the next time, cats and kittens. I'm in the